0: Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Reading the Game, a podcast where baseball fans discuss the baseball books they love. I'm host Steve Klein and this episode's all about The Grind, which is a 2015 book written by Barry Sveluga. Barry is a Washington Post journalist and at the time of writing the book he was covering the Washington Nationals beat and used his intimate access to the Nationals to go behind the scenes and provide a warts and all account of life. In the arduous 162-game season, he wrote a series of articles that first appeared in the Washington Post and then revised those articles and added some new ones to make a feature-length book. It's quite a short book, but it covers the stories of some of the people we don't often get to hear about. Yes, there's accounts from players and what their life is like, but there's also details of one of the players' wives and some of the staff at the club – including the GM and a scout and the road manager as well. So there's some really interesting stories that we don't often hear of. I spoke to Barry over the phone earlier this week and that forms the first part of this episode. Joining us for the second part of the episode is Tom Pringle, who many of you will know from the Batflips and Nerds podcast. It was a little bit weird putting this episode together in the edit because Tom, Phil and I actually spoke before I'd interviewed Barry and some of the things that i talked about with Barry had already been covered with Tom and Phil and indeed some of the things that Barry spoke about were things that Tom and Phil had mentioned themselves so there's some weird overlap in terms of uh, in terms of some of the things that we discussed one notable thing was talking about uh, books which we thought the the book reminded us of and it's really odd cuz Barry actually had the same ideas that Tom had which was quite funny but there are other couple of other things which you'll which you'll notice when you hear it the kind of thing i slightly disjointed but um i wasn't sure whether to put the phil and tom part first because we'd spoken first or the barry part first because it sort of made sense to have him talk about the book and then for us to respond to it but we weren't really responding to it so it's slightly odd but um, make of it what you will um, and if you want to you go back and listen again I put in the Tom and Phil bit first and then listening to the Barry bit, but you'd have to be pretty obsessive to do that, I suppose. Anyway, before we get started with the show, um, I wanted to thank everybody who's engaged with us on Twitter, um, at RTGpod on Twitter. Uh, we've got a really solid and growing support base of followers, and I've particularly enjoyed engaging with fans and listeners to the show over the last few weeks and months. Um, it's been really nice hearing what other books people are interested in and uh, we've had some great suggestions of books that people would like to hear and I mean if anybody's interested in coming onto the podcast and discussing books with Phil and I we're always open to suggestions. Secondly it would be fantastic if you could rate and review the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. I mean the big one is iTunes. We've had a couple of really good five-star reviews on there which have um, really brightened my day when I read them. It sort of made things feel really worthwhile Uh, but apart from anything else it allows us to get more exposure so if you can if you've got a moment and you use iTunes just go on there and give us a five star review say some generally nice things about the episodes that you've listened to or the podcast in, in general It'd be fantastic and it will help us out a little bit as well all right and I just want to say here as well that when I was talking to Barry over the phone I had to call him using Skype and it's not something that I've done before we always use a recording a Hangouts. And then just grab the audio from the YouTube file, Um, and I had to work around a way of making sure that I could record my Skype conversation with Barry. And the only way I could work out to do that was to loop back the audio through my microphone headphones. And so I was getting a little bit of audio delay, which meant that it was really, really difficult to speak because I had a millisecond behind my voice. I was hearing my voice as well in the in, in the mic, in the audio, in the in the headphones rather. So. I want to apologise for sounding even more monotone and laconic than usual um, during the Barry's Fluga episode. I promise I was completely engaged and interested, but um, on listening it does come across perhaps that I was slightly um, dry and and brief. So apologies for that, but hopefully you'll enjoy the interview anyway. So I'm just going to leave a brief musical interlude sort of fade in between the two parts of the episode, and you won't hear from me again, outside of the two parts but I just want to use this opportunity to trail the next episode of the show so it gives you an opportunity to read the book or reread the book if you want to and it's Russell Carlton's The Shift and we're going to be hopefully joined by Russell and also by Henry Cook from Absolute Bunts for that episode so that's one to look out for in the future all right let's get on with the show here is the grind
1: hi Barry
2: Hi, Steve. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. Thanks for agreeing to come on and talk about the book. I'm a big fan, and um, I was hoping you might be able to talk to us at the beginning of the of the recording about your inspiration and a bit of background to you writing the book, how you came to write the book.
2: Well, so this is in the winter of 2013 into 14, um, and I was the national baseball writer at the Washington post at the time Um, I've since become a a general sports columnist, but I was, I was looking for something to get through the season. That was more than a project that was more than, um, you know, just the kind of day to day, here's the news of the day. Here's a feature on this player. Here's why this team is good. Here's why this team is bad. Kind of the normal articles that carry you through the season. I wanted a project and I had, Previously, although I covered the Nationals as a beat writer um, from like 2005 to 2008, I I then was shifted to cover the Washington Redskins, which is the NFL team here in town. Um, And these two sports are, you know, in obvious ways and more subtle ways, quite different. Um, And I had kind of kept that in mind when I went back to baseball from covering American football. Um, Just how people I didn't think appreciated what baseball players endured physically and mentally. Um, American football is obviously a very violent and physically taxing sport on the one day a week it is played in a game. But what I had grown to notice from watching those practices was that, you know, if those guys were beat up physically or mentally um, they had plenty of time to decompress and and their whole week was kind of a crescendo to um, the Sunday afternoon, the three hours on Sunday afternoon when they were um, on the spot and had to perform. Um, You don't know whether a football player has had a bad day of practice on Wednesday and a bad day of practice on Thursday as they're building towards Sunday. If he performs on Sunday, that's, that's really all, you know, baseball players don't have anywhere to hide. If, if they're Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, those are, those are all, you know, game days. Um, so if you're bad, Wednesday is for four with three strikeouts. And that leads to a bad Thursday with, you know, one for five with two pop-ups and two strikeouts. That's on display for, for everyone um, to see. And so I kind of liked the idea of, um, exposing and explaining the everydayness of baseball in a way, uh, that I hadn't seen done before. And that would be through different characters. And so structurally I was going to produce, and in fact did produce, um, six pieces for the post Washington post one, one per month, um, starting in April, um, to uh, to kind of outline the different jobs and, and different stresses and um, physical wear and mental wear and tear on on all aspects of an organization, um, and then that later you know was expanded to become the book.
0: Okay, I mean, how did you? Do you when did you realize that it might work better as a book? And and was the, what was the process behind? changing it from series of articles into, into a book. I mean, did you have to expand on the articles themselves to include them in the book?
2: So uh, in fact, and, and this is, it's almost like a little bit of a cheater book because um, the six stories that uh, ran in the paper were reproduced um, in the book, not quite verbatim, but there was not a lot of expansion um and in fact I, I wanted I wanted to tell the paper as it was turning it in the book that look, I'd given you my best effort on on these stories. I hadn't held back. There wasn't a lot of room. I didn't need I didn't think they needed to be longer to explain each character. So um I'm sure there were some readers who were like, you know, bought the book or saw the book and were like, Well wow, I've I've read most of this uh already and may have felt disappointed. I, I thought it worked you know, I don't know if your if you or your audience would be familiar with a book by um, an American journalist named George Will, uh, who's actually a political journalist, but a huge uh, baseball fan in the 80s, which is when I grew up. He wrote a book called uh, Men at Work, and there were it may have actually been right at the turn in, into the early 90s, um, and he broke it down to a hitter, a fielder um, a pitcher and a manager. Um, and at the time it was Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn, Oral Hersheiser and I think Tony La Russa. Um, and so it would, I, I like the idea of whether it was a series of stories or, or the book of getting at the different aspects of the game through a specific character. And then as it expanded to a book, um, I, uh, I added um characters that hadn't appeared in the series. The reliever hadn't uh hadn't been written yet. The general manager hadn't been written yet. Um so it, it grew a little bit, but but the essence of it was still um I like to think it worked both both in the newspaper and as as a collection in, in the book.
0: Yeah, I mean one of the things we spoke about yesterday is that um it might have been nice to have a bit more um of an emotional correction that might have come with a bit more length, perhaps, Lee, if you'd have spent more time over the over the over the crafting of it in the developing relationships. But the ones that worked really well for me were um, probably those ones that appeared in the original in the original articles. Um, that intimacy that you have with with some of the people, certainly Zimmerman and um, Annie and Desmond and his family and his wife. that, that really that really comes through nicely which of the which of the stories did you most enjoy telling
2: well you know so it's interesting that you mentioned zimmerman and and desmond and and that the reason that so in order to do these stories or this book um there had to be some pre-existing relationships um and and i started with zimmerman because i've known him since essentially since the day he he was drafted yeah and uh, when i was the beat writer and and um and he does kind of represent you know n- not a superstar but an everyday major league player who goes through um the the strains of of that so he was my way in because he was somebody i could contact in the off season i could go hang out with um at his house and and um uh and you know have that intimate discussion um and desmond very similarly he was a 20 year old kid when Um, I met him at spring training in 2005 and, and so, um, I knew his story and, and I left it up to, he left it up to his wife, Chelsea, as to whether she wanted to participate, which I admired. Um, and, uh, and so in terms of my favorites, I I would say if I could take three, um, pick three of my children here, uh, I really like the wife, um, because I just think that that is an unexplored area. Um. The toll that that job takes on families and the, the reluctance that the guys are to talk about it because they know it comes with eye rolls from fans. Hey, you're making millions of dollars. Like, what do you have to complain about? You can pay for a nanny, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's all true, um, but that doesn't mean it it doesn't come without uh, you know a, a toll on the wife who is expected to do a lot more than just you know cook dinner for somebody. Um, I like the scout uh, because. Um, you know, we did spend uh, a and I spent a uh, real time with Chris Klein driving across the rural South, looking for players. And, and, um, you know, that, that part of an organization is, I think fans kind of tangentially know that it's important, but they don't know anything about the process. So I liked explaining that. And then I, I, I liked explaining, um, the role that the support staff, the the traveling secretary and the, and the um, clubhouse manager play, because that's, that's really the behind the scenes stuff that um, it's like a, an orchestra behind there that no one knows is playing really. Um, and it, it, it's essential to making the whole operation run. So I, I thought that those three um, people, people like hearing about what makes baseball players good. I kind of liked telling how things work in from angles that maybe they hadn't considered before.
0: It's so interesting because we, when we, when we spoke, um, in the discussion, Tom, Tom, Phil and I, uh, Rob McDonald and Chelsea Desmond were the two stories that we each picked out, you know, as the most compelling, the most engaging, um, and possibly right. because they're the ones that are the most untold, you know, they're the ones that you don't read about in other books. Um, and, and right. your sort of unique access was able to 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 bring those stories out which is really really nice um is there anyone else you might might like to have included you know perhaps well, other well so yeah the the um
2: uh, you know the one that people that is very obvious is um the manager uh or a coach honestly and i i almost was more inclined to do Um, a coach. The problem with the manager in this case was the, just a simple timing thing. The manager was a guy named Matt Williams. He's a former player, a third baseman with um, Arizona and the, and the New York and the San Francisco Giants. Giants. So very, yeah, very accomplished uh, player. Um, It was his first year. And, you know, number one, I didn't have a relationship with him to start. I I got to know him um, over the course of the year um, but I, I almost didn't, you know, these for better, for worse, like the, the on-field personnel, the starter, the veteran, the reliever, they're supposed to represent kind of typical, um, people in that job they're supposed to speak for, uh, obviously they all have their own idiosyncrasies, but, um, they're supposed to, uh, y- you know, be, um, more than, than who they are. And I thought that that was difficult with a rookie manager who's going through it for the first time and might be under um, different stresses than a guy who's established. If, if the previous manager was Davey Johnson, if Davey Johnson had still been the manager, I almost certainly would have uh, included um, included him because I think that, you know, there have been, if any, if your audience has read um, a Buzz Bissinger book called uh, three nights in August, um, which examines, Tony La Russa and the Cardinals through the view of one series. Um, I think it's fascinating the machinations that go on, um, for a manager. So that would be, that would certainly, um, be one. Uh, and then, you know, you could, um, you could get more into the minor league side of it. I did like including, uh, the 26th man, the guy who, who goes back and forth, um, but there's almost a you know there's almost another layer there of of you know finding someone in the low rungs of the minor leagues who wasn't a high draft pick who maybe is a little older than the rest of the people in the league who who could you know represents keeping the keeping the dream um alive so that you know there's almost endless places to go yeah um and one thing I would say is you know if if this was originally reported as a book, um, I think it would have gotten deeper into each character because there wouldn't have been an, a need to publish, you know, something in April, something in May, something yeah, no in June. Yeah, and so this played out much, if if you read the book, there's, there's obviously a character element, but there's also a chronological element too, because, you know, nothing about Zimmerman is included. Um, that happened in June or, or July, nothing about, um, you know, I mean, the, the scouting chapter leads up to the draft, so that makes chronological sense. Um, but, you know, you could have, if if I had done all the reporting throughout the year and then sat down in October to write the book, it would have felt like a little bit, it, it would have been a different book for sure. Yeah.
0: How long did it take you to write? I mean, I know you mentioned the original six articles sort of were written over the course of the season, but then once the season wrapped up and you decided to bring it um, to publication as an actual book and add the additional content, how long did it take you to finish off?
2: So, um, you know, the obvious uh, idea would be to try to push it out for opening day the next year. And and one thing I've learned about, I I haven't written very many books many books. Uh, this would, or as you mentioned, was just a second. Um, uh, but <laughs> book publishing takes a longer lead time than that. So the, the goal began to get it, get it out by, um, the all-star game the next summer. Uh, and that meant I needed to have everything in, if I recall, by mid January. Um, so, uh, so that was, you know, going through you know, doing whatever sort of reworking and adding to the existing chapters, which as I mentioned was not enough. And then, and then really writing, um, introduction and, and conclusion and, and the two additional chapters, um, the general manager, which came, went through the, uh, winter meetings. And then, um, and I, I, if I, re- if I recall correctly, it's a few years now, but, you know, um, I wanted to be able to end with the truck leaving for spring training, uh, um, the following spring. Mm. Um, so I had to push with the editors saying, Hey, I just need this one scene. Um, I can't, you know, I have to see it happen, even though it's, it's not super exciting. Uh, but I I just had to be able to write it in a real way. So I asked for, um, I must've asked for the, that, conclusion chapter to um, be submitted a little bit late because it would have been about the first week of February
0: Mm. and you touched on it a little bit but were there any like significant differences between writing knowing that you're writing for a book and writing for the for the post
2: you know um no because as I said I didn't want to I didn't think of it as a book until a buddy of mine and I were having beers in, you know, August and maybe five of the six had, pieces had been out it, that were in the post. And he was like, you should think about putting it together that way. And so then I, I, you know, called my agent and she said she agreed. And so we figured it out from there. Um, I think the differences uh, go back to what I was just talking about in how I would have done it. It was, if it was only a book mm-hmm. and how I had to do it because it was um, a series in, in the newspaper. Um, and I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, it would have been take the Zimmerman chapter, which opens things up. And I think that's the most, in a way, it's the most boring chapter because it's, it's kind of a profile of a baseball player, a typical baseball player and in, in getting ready for the the season. But there's no um, real time, and I don't remember the sp- specifics of his 2015, but I think he was injured again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real time kind of, oh, now he is hurt, and how is he dealing with this? And, and um, the team is on a road trip, and you're back home, and you're not able to help them, and um, mm-hmm. what is that like? There, there would have been a m- more emotional um, attachment, but by the time I, I went to do the book, everything – yeah, by the time the book was kind of green-lighted um, those moments had passed and i couldn't i couldn't quite recreate them so um i don't like to think of that as a regret because i i almost think of it like a well this is a bonus book that came out of just doing my job which which was fun um but uh, i think a, a person who was just doing it as a as an author and not as a newspaper reporter would have
0: handled it a little differently sure so now that you're no longer on the national beat i mean have have you are there any book length projects that you might approach? I mean, would you consider a follow-up a book or to the book or perhaps another book? Or even another series yes, of platform articles?
2: Yes, all of that is something I, I like to keep my um my ears pricked up for, um for sure. Um I, I as I mentioned I, I um, was um made a sports columnist in I guess late 2016. And so, and, in that, uh, I'm not quite sure if it's exactly the same as, as in the UK, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm now, I'm writing opinion pieces across sports. So Olympics and the NFL and, um, sure. certainly still keeping a hand in, in baseball because in a way it's what I know and, and like the most. Um, but it's been such a, uh, a ride to learn how to do this job, which is a job I haven't had before and and requires, you know, just a different way of thinking and a different way of writing that I I kind of want to make sure I'm doing this job correctly before I start thinking, um, okay, here's, here's, uh, here's another book. Um, I do like the idea of explaining, um, how a sport works uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with the book um k by tyler Kepner, the new york times yeah, it's just come baseball out, right? columnist yes so that's a new one tyler goes into um different pitches and their history and how you throw them and um and so that is a, an appealing way to me to kind of uh tell a, a story i i don't think and i mean if the Nationals were to win the World Series, would I write a book about how their how their um, uh, franchise started and, and maybe update the first book I, I wrote, which was about the relocation from Montreal? That that's a possibility because it, it is, you know, I know more about that story now than I did even when I wrote that book. Um, that's a long winded way of saying I have no current ideas, sure, uh, sure. but would be happy to would be happy to do it.
0: But you but your your relationship with the nationals does give you a unique perspective and sort of um you know a unique access to what might make something worthy of a story i suppose
2: um yeah and and there's a length of it's almost like a, a service time length there i mean that's the is the first beat writer in you know five who was exposed to kind of the chaos of moving a major league franchise from one city to the other and And the team is owned by major league baseball. You know, there's all these elements of, of that journey that um, uh, it's, there's just, it's not just the relationship with the club, which can be contentious at times. There's just a a bank of knowledge. And, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I could sit down right now and say, okay, write a history of the Washington nationals, you know, jot down a hundred names that you should call. And, and, uh, and I'd have those names and I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd, be able to get going on that project so that's that's why that would be um appealing the the problem is you know i think there are four or five new new york yankee books out this this year um there's so much history with the yankees and there's and and such a huge fan base in such a huge city um there's not quite that appetite in washington for for this baseball team in part because they don't have the history
0: but i think one of the good things about the book is that it doesn't necessarily come across as a, as a book about the Washington nationals. It comes across as a book about baseball and, and that, that really works well.
2: That's a, a, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Cause that was certainly a, a goal. I mean, that the, the team in town that I have access to is the nationals, but um, they were supposed to represent and it could have been written about any team. It could have been, you know, eight or 10 characters from eight or 10 different teams. I I did like that. Um, if you keep it focused on one, um, on one franchise, then you can see how all those parts kind of connect. Um, so in a way I like that, uh, better, but in terms of marketing the book, if you had, if you had 10 different teams represented, um, you might've been able to sell it to in 10 different markets a bit better. I always, I, um, I'm always when people say, "Oh, that book you wrote about the Nationals," I get a little crestfallen because that's not how I think of it. I think of it as a baseball book. Um, I think the people who understand it say exactly what um, you just said—that it's a, a baseball book that uses the Nationals to tell a story about how the sport works.
0: Absolutely, it's just a sort of way into the to the behind the smoke and mirrors, really, because um, you right. only see what's on what well, you only see the package, the polished package. I mean, that's right. Are you. Going back to the actual, the grind um, in the afterwards that you wrote for the paperback edition, which is the edition that I have, you're kind of implying that something's got to give, you know, with the schedule that, that this is too much. And it's almost a breaking point. How is it for you too much of a grind? And is there anything you'd do to change the structure of the season?
2: So they, they've actually addressed a a little bit of it um, in the, in the last, um, collective bargaining, uh, agreement between the, um, the union and, the, uh, and major league baseball. Some of it is just simple stuff. Like don't d- reduce the number of times that teams have to travel a certain distance, um, after playing a night game and then play the next day in a city that's, um, three time zones away. Um, there are restrictions. I don't have them in front of me, but there are restrictions of, you know, if you're traveling X amount of miles, or uh, X amount of time across you know Y time zones. The, the game must start by 1 p.m. in the time uh, that you're leaving, so that you're not uh, arriving at four or five in the morning and having to play um, that next day. There are they now are starting the season slightly earlier yeah. to give more off days in during the season. That seems. Again, I think people have a misconception on what the physical demands of baseball are. Um, So it seems like it might be petty and not really, uh, you know, substantive. But um, if you talk to players, uh, boy, do they value their off days and they notice, like, do we have an off day at home where we have a home game? We're off the next day and then we're not traveling. Uh, and we play at home the following day. That's almost like a mini vacation for them. They've got sure. 48 hours with nothing to do, which is in- inconceivable. That can be so restorative. The, in terms of reducing the schedule, um, there was some talk uh, of going back from 162 games to 154 games. I think that uh, the financial equation is not going to work out there. You're, all of these uh, media rights packages, um that are you know that each team generates so much revenue from how they broadcast their games If you are there's no broadcaster that's going to say oh we paid for 162 games but it's totally fine if we give you the same amount of money for 154 games uh so that that's just and that you know lessens money for owners but also for players and and that's probably not going to work so uh, the the tweaks i think sound minor but um the players are, are happy with them and um and look, the sport is—it's played more days than it's not. It's played, you know, quite often thirteen times in fourteen days. Um, these guys know what they're in for. They know how to handle it. They learn how to handle it, and, and it's a—it's um, a way to, you know, sort out the wheat from the chaff, I guess, uh, in, in in a way. Um, it's a, it's a remarkable thing to watch a, a player or a team go go through, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all we all agreed that. The, we wouldn't want to change it from the fans' perspective, you know. I can understand from reading the book that things need to, things might need to change. But from our, from the outside, do we? We'd want more, <laughs> you know. We want more baseball. Well, think,
2: yeah, think about it. I mean, I, yeah. I, um, if you're watching, if you're a fan of a specific team, uh, and the season starts in April, um, and I'm like this too. I watch more Nationals games, but I'm, I'm happy to turn on another game as well. Um. I mean, how disappointed are you when the team you're a fan of actually does have an off day, and you're like, "Oh, what you know? What I I can't, I can't watch them tonight." It's it's part of the daily flow, daily conversation. There's something new that happens every day, um, and that's so rewarding. And it it, you know brings with it kind of new possibility every day. It's it's almost the way you define the season. So um, yeah, I wouldn't want it to be completely overhauled for sure.
1: Cool.
0: All right. Well, listen. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Barry. It's been great um, having you on. Thanks for agreeing to come on. I don't know if there's anything you Thanks, want to Steve. plug or, um,
2: no, I'm, uh, it's great. I'm glad, I'm glad it's the, you know, the book is, um, a few years old. Uh, so I'm glad people are still thinking it's worthy of talking about. I don't think it's a, a book about the 2014 Washington nationals. I think it's a book about how baseball is, how baseball works. And, and, um, so I hope there's a little bit of timelessness to it that, that, um, if you're talking about it five years later you're, you're hopefully you appreciate
0: it yeah weirdly it might be the kind of um kind of book that ages well you know it's kind of as right. a as a historical document as well as a snapshot in time it's quite interesting
2: that'd be my hope
0: brilliant thanks very much barry okay okay great Cheers. thanks Bye-bye. appreciate it yep. right. bye Right, so it's a big hello to Tom Pringle. Hi, Tom.
1: Hi, Steve. How are you? Very well, thank
0: you. And Excellent. also, welcome to Phil. Hi, Phil. Hi, Steve. And we're going to kick off um, in a moment talking about the book a little bit. But first of all, why don't we each just have a quick talk about how we came to the book and our first impressions of the book? Do you want to start us off, Tom? What, what? First of all, what, what brought you to the book and um, and what were your first impressions?
1: Um, I think I ended up spotting the book on Twitter. Someone was talking about it or had mentioned the fact that this book existed. Um, and I end up like just trawling Amazon um, on a regular basis, trying to find baseball books wherever I can. Um, anything that's brand new or anything that, you know, somebody's mentioned within the past. Um, my wife will certainly attest to the amount of baseball books that I've got on a bookshelf that are just piling up at the moment and I still need to read a load of them. Um, so it was just one of those books that was on offer I saw that it was quite short as well in in its in its size in terms of the fact that the chapters are very short as well and it kind of drew me to it just to to learn more about um well I'm sure we're going to discuss it but a baseball season but not just the players it was the the people in the the, the back as well in the, the front office whether it be the wives etc um so it really drew me to it rather than just the standard sort of baseball player or baseball team story
0: okay and um, and first impressions is it something that something that you you couldn't
1: put down or something that you kind of read on the go um yeah I I kind of I have a bit of a weird reading style so my reading only generally takes place when I'm about to get into bed um I try and read whenever I can but I'm easily distracted um whether it be looking at my phone watching baseball or doing something completely different um so I generally try and be disciplined and just read when I get into bed so the fact that it was short chapters and short paragraphs I could quite quickly get through it um i was saying before I'm pretty simple human for people that know me I'm not very well educated so for me it was quite to just pick up and just get on with I didn't really have to I found in the passive baseball books I kind of need to go back up the pages and catch up where I was if I if I don't stop at the end of a chapter um so it was good for me in that sense I, I really liked it Okay how about
3: you Phil Um I came across it a couple of years ago when I was in the states and I went to a few Nat's games and uh I think I saw it on a table and to be honest with you, I kind of ignored it. (laughs) I looked at the back of it thought, okay, that's, that's, that's quite a cool idea to get different snapshots and then like completely forgot about it until a few months ago when we were discussing the books that, um, we could discuss on the, on the podcast. So, um, I read it for the first time only a few weeks ago, um, and bought a copy of the book before realizing that I think the articles are available to read on, uh, online still um as long as you sign up uh to the washington post i, th- I think I, th- I think i'm right in saying that um so maybe i shouldn't have bought the book after all i should have just read the articles online but uh that's what that's what the book says to me it, it is a collection of articles rather than a um rather the book that i think i think it's a book that you could you could probably you don't have to read the chap well maybe you do have to read the chapters in order a little bit because they are of logical. but it's a book that you can definitely dip in and out of or you know snatched moments or or you know Commuting journeys, that kind of thing.
0: I thought I thought that it was a series of articles that appeared first in the, in the post, but that he that Barrys Falluga kind of um, worked on and sort of embellished and and extended for. Mm. Uh, I, I might be wrong on that, actually. Um,
3: no, I think you are right. right? By,
0: by the time listeners hear this, we probably would have established that from the interview we've <laughs> <before. laughs> uh, But anyway, um, never mind. Um, I came to it. Quite, quite recently. Um, it was something that lots of people, when talking about books after launching the podcast, lots of people came back and took you know, just generally talking online about books. Um, and it was something that just kept coming up. And it, because it's so accessible and because it's so uh, easy to read, I, I kind of got a copy and, and read through it. I have to say, I read it really, really quickly. I'm a bit like you, Tom. I do most of my reading in the evenings when um, I last about seven minutes before falling asleep. Um, <laughs> but it was something that i could i could read quite quickly i i i, I kind of i think i read it in just in a, in a few nights and i think it it's like you said it's 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 really accessible it's really it's a really really easy read and that's not to denigrate it in any way i'm not it, it, it's not um i'm not putting it down at all but um, in fact it's a good thing you know it it has a nice um journalistic style um which is which is really readable but also helps you really to connect with the um with the, with the characters, with the protagonists. Um, so yeah, I have to say, I, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, so yeah, we'll move on. And speaking as we sort of said that it's, we sort of said it's a collection of articles, isn't it? You've got the veteran, the wife, the scout, the starter, the 26th man, the glue, the reliever, the GM and the winter. Um, so it's basically some short articles about different people and and how they're involved with the Washington Nationals or how they're involved with baseball through the Washington Nationals. If we start with you, Tom, which of the stories did you find the most compelling
1: and why? Um, I think it was probably the the wife sort of um, struck a chord with me, probably because of my experience in the military and going away. So it's a story of her kind of just waiting at home all the time with the kids, especially Um I really like the fact that she just accepted that that's the life that it is. Um, Clearly, you know, this is Chelsea Desmond, by the way. Um, Her husband, Ian Desmond, was earning a, a substantial amount of money. But do you know what? Sometimes all that money probably doesn't make much of a difference when you're just sat at home on your own um so it was it was quite nice actually that she was very very honest within the story as well i enjoyed the part as well i know we're going to come on to it later but the, the fact that the kids were just you know they were staying up until dad had finished his baseball because for her it was like well when they're going to see him because he spends most of his time on the field so when, when are they going to actually see him and interact with him so i, I really like that i think that one struck a quite a decent chord with me
0: okay um and how about you phil
3: Uh, I'm always a a sucker for a minor league, uh, tough luck, uh, ball Durham kind of story. So uh, the 26th man, which um, describes Tyler Moore's experience of kind of bouncing between uh, the bigs and and AAA. Um, uh, That story I found quite fascinating. Um, But uh, also the glue article or chapter uh, of rob mcdonald and mike wallace rob mcdonald was the uh vice president of clubhouse operations and uh mike wallace was the team travel clubhouse and equipment manager and they still both work at the nets and it shone a light on something that i didn't really know a lot about was just how much organization goes into uh an 162 game season or at least 162 game season um it's something that i didn't really know about and it's definitely the the article that i found the most compelling um in particular when uh it's talking about like the number of flights that they have to have to manage the 33 flights two train trips five bus charters over the course of a season and the last of the nationals 12 road trips um they'd go through six three cities involved one train ride three flights 46 bus rides 78 passengers 25 equipment trucks six sets of golf clubs 70 equipment bags one massage table 125 pieces of luggage including two guitars what could possibly go wrong and it was just like yeah wow okay respect to those two guys
0: yeah that that was one of mine that i sort of picked out as well just because um just because that more than maybe any of the other ones really kind of gets you to the nuts and bolts of what makes mm. a baseball team go around, and and as a fan, you are kind of very aware of the product on the on the pitch, and you're very kind of aware of, of 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 what you see on the screen, but it's really interesting to see how much effort and how much work goes into making things click behind the scenes. Yeah. I really like the um I really like the bit about um, him stowing away. Uh, this is Rob McDonald stowing away some uh, some Don on. Don Perignon secretly, <laughs> uh, in preparation. And it just like, as someone who's, you see all of the champagne being sprayed at the end of the season and there's teams going, you know, working their way through the postseason and everything. And you just, it never even occurred to me that somebody must have like months in advance thought, shit, we're going to need loads and loads of champagne at some stage of the season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I was really compelled by that one. I also actually weirdly wrote down Chelsea Desmond. I thought it was a really nice story and not so much the, um, not so much that Chelsea has been part of that, but there's a there's a reference to Rick Ankiel's wife, mm. set up a website mm. for um yeah. set up a website for wives and girlfriends yeah, yeah. who kind of not just having to look after the kids and everything, but having you know constantly having to move around the country at the drop of a hat. You know, sometimes being overnight being told that you're going to have to be waking up in another city. You know, finding somewhere to live in a new city and just. All that wasted time of people having to look for new homes and new schools and everything like that, and, and so they sort of thought, uh, Rick, this is Rick Hankels. Well, I sort of thought it'd be a good idea to set up a website to support people to be able to do that. And that was a really nice sort of human story, which I thought was really nice. And then um, the other one was Drew Storen, the the, the because it it really <clears throat> this is the, the the chapter on the reliever because it really kind of highlighted the difference between a starting pitcher and a re- relief pitcher, which I thought was from a baseball perspective was quite interesting. Um, and it tallied with. Um, I don't know if you've heard the in on Colin McHugh's um, podcast. He does a really good interview with um, Sean Doolittle. this is like about a month ago, and they were talking themselves about the difference in mentality behind being, between being a, a reliever and a pitcher, and the difference of you know having to be called in or having basically having to rock up to the ballpark ballpark every night, knowing that you might get in the game versus knowing that you're not going to be playing for four game four days out of five. And that, that was quite interesting, but especially in the context of how increasingly starters are being treated like relievers a little bit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and are we moving away from having that structure of having five starters and actually perhaps look into the future when increasingly starters are going to be treated a bit more like they're just going to have to throw here and there and how that will affect their mentality. So I thought that was quite that was quite an interesting one as well. Um, so, yeah, um, moving on then we kind of talked a little bit about our favorites is what, what would you have liked more of from the book? I mean, I know Phil and I were talking off air about how it is just effectively just a collection of articles. Is there anything you would have liked the author to have gone a bit more in depth on, you know, and perhaps another person at the organization or one of the people that we do actually hear a little bit about in the book, anything you'd like to have heard more of Um, Tom?
1: Um, There's, there's 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 nothing from the people that we heard from. I think he kind of covered it in a broad brush sense for each one, which was really good. Um, I, I did note down before the pod just thinking about it. Maybe they could look at like the. I know they they look at a scout, but also the data analyst side as well. Sort of the new generation and looking at that. Maybe that would have been a, another angle to look at, and that could have even like followed the scout chapter. So um there's a book. Um, what's it called now? Three nights in August. Um, which it's a great book in the sense of it talks about um, the Cubs versus the Cardinals and this three game series. Um, And it's, it's a really good book. It's a nice book. It's well-written, but the, 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 the chapter at the end of the book is just, berating analytics and it just like hammers analytics and it really put a sour note on the book for me. And I I kind of felt not the barrier was against it at no point in the book did I ever get the impression it was against analytics, but it it felt like a a bit of a missing part because it's such a huge thing in front offices at the moment to have that analytics department and all those people that are suddenly going into it. And whether it be people like, you know, Jeff Sullivan, who is a writer and used to host a podcast and now working in the Rays front office. So the the variety of people they could have got um, would have been interesting. Um, I also thought maybe uh, just a Nationals fan, just speaking to a fan, a season ticket holder, who's experienced what the Nationals have gone through. Maybe somebody who's been there from the very start of the Nationals getting to Washington um, and, and actually speaking to them and saying, you know, H- how is it for you? Because of all their playoff disappointments, it, there must be something that, that they want to say. And that person who's been there from the start will probably say, you know, oh, it's great to have the team arrive here. There's a lot of hope and expectation. And then it's just been... Years of disappointment in recent years. So they're the only two I could really think of.
0: How, I mean, for me, that I was going to say the thing about it would have been lovely to have heard from someone in the front office, you know, like an analyst, an analyst, an analyst. I got it out there. um But the thing is, what I would have liked to have gone behind the scenes on that kind of relationship between the clubhouse and and the front office i thought that might have been quite interesting to kind of explore we have well i certainly have this sort of sense that there's still a bit of conflict um in in clubs between the team um you know responsible for putting the the team the the people on the pitch and and also the um and also the the analysts um it might be quite interesting to have an exploration of that in a way and also you know possibly if we'd have heard from a from a more journalist as well you know because obviously mm. barry writes the book and he's a journalist but it might have been nice to know what the what the what it was like being on the beat a bit more if you would have been a bit more biographical about it i thought it might,
3: might have been quite interesting how about how about you phil um i would like to have heard a voice from someone that wasn't a white american um that i think stood out for me when i was when i was reading each chapter that i thought well there were other play there were other players who weren't american on the roster and um so i thought it could have done with like a touch of diversity um country music was mentioned a few times Uh, a belief in god and christianity was mentioned a few times and i thought that it would have been interesting to um Speak to some, like hear from somebody from within the organisation or a fan. Um, I completely agree about the, the, the comment about fans. I thought it would be interesting to um, hear from them why they support the Nats, given that uh, <clears throat> that that you know before the Nats existed, there was there were the Expos. So um, how that how how a fan, how a couple of fans have come to support the Nats, and whether or not um, well, yeah, just that, just how that came about, really
0: i think in i think in Svaluga's defence like he there's a there's a level of intimacy uh, with the people that he talks to uh, he's obviously built relationships with people one the big one big acknowledgement is uh, is to Ryan Zimmerman who was um He's known really since being drafted and has come up, but mm-hmm. obviously managed to develop a relationship over quite a long time for, to him, for, for Zimmerman to be able to say, it's okay, you can write about me. And obviously for Ian Desmond to say, it's okay, you can write about me, you can write about my family and that kind of thing. So I think it it, it might just be dependent on who on who Barry's Faluga had developed relationships with over the time. But no, I get your point. I think it would have been interesting um, to have a bit more diversity in there.
1: And- just, just thinking about that that connection between the bench and the front office as well. I've only just realised, but there's nobody from the coaching staff who's interviewed at all. I don't believe no, there's exactly, anyone yeah. at all. So the, I mean, the, the ideal pair probably would have been the bench coach, which is kind of your your man manager, the guy who sort of keeps everybody in line. Not really the managers doing that; it's more your bench coach who does it. So he could have probably been that one to to interview. Um, maybe Barry did, you know, interview the first base coach or the third base coach, and just went, "Well, this doesn't really fit in the book." Yeah, honest. I
3: did. I did wonder that as well—that whether or not there were a couple of people who just didn't make the uh, <clears throat> didn't make the cut, uh, didn't make it to the bigs of appearing in uh, in the book or uh, uh, appearing in the newspaper. But that might and, well have been the case.
0: And that would be quite interesting as well, just in terms of in terms of um, revisiting, because it's 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 mostly about the, the 2014 season, um, and I don't think that. Barry's Fluga is now on the beat per se. I think he's um, he's he's more of a national. He covers the national game for the Washington Post, but I know he's still involved with the with the Nationals. Um, might be interesting to see how his his relationships have changed in that time, and if if he were writing it today, there might be different characters involved, and and how you know we might hear their voices a little bit
3: more. Um, but going back to you, yeah, is anything missing? Like and going back to kind of the structure and the format of the book, I think um, I would just like to have heard more about everybody (laughs) yeah and i think that's that's you know the the format doesn't lend itself to that um but because the stories were quite or the articles are quite brief they i could i felt like i couldn't get emotionally invested with any of the Mm. subjects to a great extent before oh we moved on to the next one um so i was kind of left like wanting to know a little bit more about um like Drew Storen, like what, you know, what happened to him in, like a flash forward, like, like um, in the Dan Barry book, is kind of like, well, what, what happened to him in the 2015 season? I did find myself, I did find myself looking up stats on kind of everybody involved in Washington national seasons on on baseball reference throughout re- reading this book because I was, I wanted to know more. I was, I was, I was thirsty to find out well, what happened. Is this, this person still playing in the major leagues? Are they in AAA or they in in A? But yeah just my personal point of view
1: no I think I'm very much I'm very much like you in that Phil so when when I was I I was always making sure I was finishing a chapter on somebody but then as you say going straight into Google find out where they are now Mm. how they finished up that season and you know what? What sort of led to their downfall or their rise after that? In fact, looking at the list of people, pretty much everyone downfalled on this, yeah. this book. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: everyone. There's not many people who've gone on to better things since being involved in the book. I don't think. I mean, obviously, like some of the career arcs were, were towards the, you know, they're towards the end anyway. But the, who was the guy? The uh, the the twenty sixth man. It was the. Is it Tyler Moore? Yeah. Tyler Moore. I mean, I yeah. I yeah. don't think he's involved at a major league level anymore. And I'm not even sure Drew Storin is. Um, pitching in the majors at the moment. I'll
1: no, think. I think Drews. I don't know if he's retired. I looked this up yesterday. I don't think he's retired, but he's not played for a while. I know Doug Fister's gone. Um Desmond's obviously up at the Rockies now. Mm. Um I just thought though as well they 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 missed out a prospect.
2: Yeah, prospect that would have been there very as well. i mm. one of their,
1: their people to talk to, you know, from dra- from draft day onwards as well.
0: Yeah, although I mean he does that's the thing is that for Perhaps for Barrys Falugo, you know um, Desmond and Zimmerman were prospects. Did they? They just weren't. They, yeah, they, they prospects to him because he would kind of known them since they became part of the organization. But yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It would have been nice to have someone who was sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed. I mean, for me, that's one of the most interesting things about it is hearing. You know, it it kind t- 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 kind of t- takes it, it takes you behind the smoke and mirrors a little bit. I think the book and that that's what it does really well because Zimmerman talks he's he's the veteran but he kind of talks
3: he's a veteran at 29 which i thought was quite funny i was like yeah <laughs> 29 but, but yeah i know he'd, what you mean he's yeah. been
0: around the block and and there's yeah. a sent, there's a sort of weariness um in the way that he comes across which is really interesting um you know he it's very much it's very much a job it's very much a job for him and and it's um it's interesting hearing how you know when he was when he was young he he would get restless in the off season and he couldn 't stay away from the base you know he 'd constantly be doing things and and kind of as he's got older he just i can't remember what it says i think he has like six weeks or a period of time over the winter where he just does nothing related to baseball yeah. whatsoever um and that's that was really eye opening that 's not something that you think of as a fan that baseball players are doing in the off season i mean maybe i 'm naive maybe i 'm learning that, but I kind of get the impression that it's it's around the clock. Job you know that they're on it all the time and they're training and everything, but that was quite interesting to me mm, i enjoying. think um
1: I think that's that's kind of um that must be an age thing as well though because certainly for myself when I was whenever I was going away with work, it was kind of three and a half four months at a time, and you get back from that, and the first thing you do is kind of try and relax and chill out, but because you just spent that last four months constantly in the routine, it's so difficult to break out of that cycle. And you're surrounded by, you know, 25, 30 other people that are going through the exact same cycle with you. Um, so each evening, you know, if you if you wanted to go out and have a chat with the lads, you'd go and have a chat with them. Or if you wanted to just sit in your room and talk to nobody, neighbor, you go and do that. And you could quite happily do that. But then you, you literally, the seat for them, and the thing is, I spoke to one of my friends who used to play um, cricket for Middlesex and New Zealand. And he said it was very similar for him. It's like you literally just get picked up one day, taken home and dropped into your house. And you're sitting there in your house like, I've literally got no one to talk to. Wife's gone to work for the day. I've got no one to talk to. Everyone else has gone off and leave. Everyone's disappeared. And it must be so difficult to switch off out of that mentality as a youngster in a baseball season. But then I think as players get older and they get married and they have kids, they've got so much more to think about. And when the the end Mm. of the season comes, it's like, oh, thank God that's there. Right. I can relax now and actually enjoy some family time. So I think that's, for for Desmond, that must have just been a, I'm stuck in this cycle. It's all I know. I'm going to keep doing this to then start growing up, so to say, and become that 29-year-old veteran. God, I'm 36. Might have been a major veteran then. Um, It must be, he just must have had to break that cycle and get out of it. Um, And that was, like for me, that was one of the big comparisons of the book to read it and see all these different stories. Like you mentioned about the fixer earlier, the fact that, You know, the the players need to come off the bus and everything's there. It's ready to go. Whenever we were flying away from the UK, everything would just be ready to go. You'd arrive, you'd put your kit on, you'd go flying every single time. And it'd just be absolutely seamless. You'd just go and do it because the idea is they need you to focus on the task that you're doing. They don't need you to walk in and go, oh, can you sign this bit of paper? Can you move this? Oh, your bags are over there. You need to go and get them from there. Everything was pretty much done for you. Maybe not carrying your bags. That's a bit extreme. But the idea was we need you to be completely focused 100% on the task. And that's what it is for baseball as well. And it must be for all sports. You could Dave Brailsford with Team Sky or whatever they're called now. The fact that they were getting the similar pillows, what they were using at home to put in their rooms so they could sleep on them. For him, it was like, if I can make that tiny difference that will get you that extra bit of performance, then it's worth it. And that's it really, really struck a chord for me in that sense throughout the book. So all the different things, I was kind of like, yep, I get that. I understand that. I can, I can, um, sympathize. And the big thing for me was the, um, collection of stuff in the background. Like you said, all those other stories because we've heard so many stories about baseball players, relievers, whoever it may be. Um, whether it be coaches and their background and stuff, but you never really hear about the others. Um, I can't remember your original point. I don't know why I just went there.
0: Well, no, I was I was talking about weariness and and just sort of trying oh. maybe t- treating the sport as a treating it as a job. But I think I think you're absolutely right. One of the one of the things that one of the things that is so good about the book, um, is that it does take you behind the scenes and and not very many books do that in a, in a similar way. And, and because of, because of his relationship with the club, I think Barris Veluga does that really, really well. And I think we, we say, oh, it's just a collection of articles, but, but actually his access and his intimacy with the club and the people behind the scenes is what makes it a good book. Cause otherwise it would just be a collection of articles, you know, and that would be to the detriment of the book. But I think it works well. Um, it's interesting I'm trying to sort of tie threads together in my head as, as as we as we're talking but one of the things that I was really interested in is about the um the difference between the grind um for the for the stars like you just said every every everyone has to, everyone at the organization is focused on making sure all the players have to do is play the game and obviously there's a massive payoff in their you know in their salaries as well but there's one thing that feluga rights is that the difference between the grind for the major leaguers and the grind for the minor leaguers, there's a really good quote. He says, Mm. "Um, if if the major league life brings a grinding rhythm that wears on the hearts and minds and bodies of even star players, at least it comes with charter flights and checks with Mm. all those zeros in the minors. The everydayness is the same. The payoff is not. And there's a really sort of stark, stark Mm. realization that, you know, and we've, we've talked about this on previous podcasts and I know, um, uh, you know, this is something that, we all we all think about quite a lot is that 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 kind of that um what life must be like for people in the minor leagues and and having to do everything that that goes with being a professional baseball player but not having the perks and not having a salary as well to back it up and also not the job security because one of the things that we're talking about is not just the money but it's the it's the security and, and knowing that they don't have to go away and and do things in the off season necessarily what is is, i don't know if anyone it's not really a question but has anyone got anything to say about i think
1: that's for for me that's why it's so important that that major league players get paid what they do get paid because of the efforts that some of them have to go through and these are the best athletes in the world at doing this job you to to reach there is just incredible um and the fact it's guaranteed money is like for me it's just amazing so if someone gets injured you know they're still going to get that money it doesn't matter my friend from before who played cricket, he said as a youngster, he wanted to play every single day. As soon as he got older and he realised that, you know, he's on a one-year deal somewhere, he was desperate for rain days every single day. He didn't want to get injured. If he could stay there and collect his money every week, he was quite happy. He said, I didn't care if I didn't bowl a single inning. I was quite happy because I know I'd be getting paid the next week as well. Um so for me yeah that's that's it kind of highlighted the importance like reading like you say the grind, the twenty-six man that uh, just showed me like to to reach the majors and get your your basic major league salary was just so important after all that work and all that effort and when you see like a you know a 29 year old veteran or a 30 year old guy finally make it to the majors it just really warms my heart so much because of everything they must have had to go through together
3: definitely it's also heartbreaking though, I think, as well at the same time that you, you see somebody like uh who's he, a really good a really good double A player and triple A they're all right and they get their chance and they kind of bounce back down and then you, know, you, you you just kind of feel for the for the guys who just just aren't quite good enough. Um mm-hmm. like Tyler Moore in twenty fifteen. He did play he played ninety seven games for the Nets, but um He was really it, good
0: in the first season, you know, I was looking yeah reference page he did he did well
3: you know um but in 2015 he hit like mendoza line and mm. it's like yeah it's my heart goes out to him that he just he just wasn't wasn't good enough and you know when you Isn't when you've been when you've been schooled and you go to college or whatever you or you, you, you your high school PE coach will tell you that uh, you've got a chance you're going to make it and you kind of build the hopes up at a teenager and then mm. oh you get to 24 <laughs> and 25 and you're still in AAA and you're like I it's I maybe I'm not going to make it
1: It must be so difficult to make that call and just go, I'm going to stop. To to do that is like such a brave call to make because, you know, you could be one hot streak away from getting to the majors and getting a decent opportunity Um, and to just call it and go, no, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this to my family. I can't do this myself. I need to get on with the rest of my life.
0: I love there. there's a talking about the Tyler Moore thing. There's a really nice. Um, I mean, it, it, there's some really nice touches. There are some really nice. Uh, we have said it's got a journalistic style, but there, mm. but it is. It is really, really well written, and it's very mm. readable, um, and it's put together in a really nice way. I there, like there's a there's a just at the end of the chapter on Tyler Moore. It says it's where we all want to be. He said, and at three thirty p.m. he walked past the minor league spread of chicken, and green beans, and into the minor league showers full of major league hopes. someone who's Mm -hmm. like you said he's already experienced it and he just all he wants to do is just get back there um so yeah um do what do you think about i mean we've just talked about money a bit i mean do you think do you not proposing that we rip up and start again in terms of you know reinventing the game but is 162 games too much like i i have i have a lot of friends who I've got a lot of friends who I talk to baseball about who don't know very much about baseball whatsoever, and most of them just tell me to shut up. But um, <laughs> the, when you when you're talking about baseball, they say, "Oh, it's just isn't it just like fat guys playing rounders?" You know, like what what's the thing? And you tell them that they play 162 games over six months that they have, you know, very very rarely have a day off. Only once in the season do they have more than one day off, in or you know, more than one day off mm. it, to, to join the All Star rating. You know, <clears throat> if you were given the power to do so, is there anything you'd do to change the structure of the season to make it less of a grind? Or do you think that if you shortened it, you know, if it went back to 154, you know, maybe down to like 142 or something, would it just still be as much of a grind? And it just that everyone would just adapt it to get the most out of the schedule as possible?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know really because. I suppose, like you say, if you get to 154, then you're going to want more out of your guys. You know, the coaches, the owners, the GMs, they're going to want more out of their guys from performance. Um, Yeah, let's not talk about the money because that's just going to cause all sorts of problems. Um, But I think they're probably going to expect more from them. Um, I I mean, let's, let's say the ideal solution would be to spread it over pretty much a whole year and everyone plays in the dome because then you don't have to worry about the weather, because that's kind of the the, the limiting factors, the start of the year and the end of the year with the weather in certain areas of the country. So that's going to stop stop the season from being extended anymore. I know the NBA season's been extended recently, which has helped them out, and they've got more off days, um, which the union's been fighting for. I mean, clearly, as a fan, I'd be disappointed if they go down from one city. But having learned more about it and seen... The, the, the troubles that people end up going through, and you know, just these. I mean, there's a year where Xander Bogarts are just playing with a, I think it was a wrist injury for the whole year, and he just struggled throughout the whole season. You just think, do you know, what? If the season was shorter, the more off days, he could probably get back to fitness pretty quick and sort himself out. And, and you just see guys that just struggle for the whole season, and that's it. They just keep getting put in the lineup. They're not getting put on the IL, and and that's just going to happen. Um. So, yeah, I think realistically it's got to, it's got to reduce. People are getting bigger, they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, the injuries are getting more and more prevalent. Um, and, you know, it's getting harder and harder to hit a baseball. So why not give them a bit more time off?
3: Mm. Phil, you, that was a a, a, thoughtful, mm. a thoughtful pause. Mm, I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to do an impact assessment and get back to you on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can- I think my, my worry, if you reduce if if you reduce the number of games significantly, would it push up ticket prices? So, because there's obviously going to be a mm. revenue impact, and uh, 162 games season means that quite a lot of clubs can do you know 10, 12 dollar tickets to get in. But if you reduce the number of games significantly, say I don't know, drastically by a third. Is that going to increase the number of sellouts and therefore supply and demand? Would that push the ticket prices up? Uh, I, I don't know if reducing the number of games would be beneficial to fans, at least in terms of how, how it hits their pockets. Anyway, yeah, I'll do my impact assessment and get back to you in about six months. <laughs>
0: I, I like, I, I, I think it's one of the things I'm really attracted to in, in, in the game is, 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 is how much of a grind it is. You know, that is this sort of epic struggle over the course of a season. You know, I, I think that it's nice when it goes away. It's nice, you know, you get, it's nice when you get the winter and it's nice and exciting when it comes back. And it's nice that it's just every single night throughout the whole of the spring and summer, pretty much, that you're going to just be able to turn on um, MLB TV and watch a baseball game. There's something nice about it always being there and i think that if it was something where you, you your team wasn't playing all the time i think it'd be a shame Now, i i do sometimes get a bit annoyed if my team's not playing it's just like oh guys no baseball tonight you know um lazy you know what are they doing um <laughs> but, but i i yeah i think it's nice that it com- it's completely like it just yeah it it all encompassing over the whole course of the uh, over the whole course of the season I, I think there's something quite nice about it i think it would be a shame if they played less baseball but i wouldn't i wouldn't mind too much if um if there was a bit more rotation, so perhaps if you had slightly bigger um, um, squads, perhaps you know so you might extend the rosters slightly, so you could have talent on the rosters um, and rotate. But perhaps that might be too much of a benefit to the more wealthy clubs. I don't know. I suppose there's going to be mm. there's going to be ups and downs to each of the each of the things. But no, I would probably quite like to keep it as it is. But Why I not maybe. play more games? Why not 172 or 182? <laughs> well, just. Keep I think, the, yeah, same, yeah, like as same, just but... to
1: clarify, as, as a fan, like I want to stay as 162 because, like you said, it's brilliant to be able to turn baseball on whenever you, you get back on an evening. But I think realistically, something's got to happen, like mm-hmm. you said, whether it's a, a roster increase, whether it's a stretch of season somehow, which you can't really do. I mean, we could just bin the all star game. I mean, who gives a toss? <laughs> well, and
0: well, also have there. the, there's the, the 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 elongated playoffs is a relatively recent thing, you know. It, yeah. Um, you could you could you could lose around the playoffs, but then in terms of excitement and television revenue, I know how lucrative the playoffs are for baseball. Yeah. Uh, and so well, that, you look that, at that look at the NBA
1: crazy. having seven game series throughout the whole of the playoffs, and it's just a waste of time, especially at the start with the first round. It's an utter waste of time, mm. and, and I'm sure, like you said, the money makers would be quite happy to go to seven games for every single series, mm. which would just be so painful.
3: Mm. Yeah
0: and is there anything else they could do to make it less of a grind then so we've talked about having like slightly larger rosters perhaps um a slightly longer season I, i'm struggling to think of 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 how else they can do that really um, um
1: everyone plays in san diego Done.
0: yeah that would be good in, in um well or you joke but perhaps making it more regional as well so there's less traveling involved that might make it slightly mm. easier because you know you think about i think there's there's a situation where it really hammers home in the book how if there's a rain delay on the on a travel day then it just screws everything up for everybody you know that the, the players are often not getting to bed till sort of 5 6 in the morning having to get up and play an afternoon game it's just ridiculous but if they were i know the us is a massive country but if there were more regional um matchups and you weren't leaving your division for for long periods of time then perhaps that might be a bit easier you know uh, yeah. Or makes sense. another thing they could do is longer, longer series, you know, longer, longer stands. So rather than play a three, four game series, you might you might play sort of seven, but eight, but that might be a bit tiresome for the fans as well.
1: Mm.
0: And also as a team who keeps the fan of a team who's constantly getting swept a lot this season, it would be you know, it's the one thing to lose a three-game <laughs> series, but to lose a seven, <laughs> eight game series would be absolute torture.
1: Well, um, I, I suppose the other option as well is the games, which I'm sure nobody wants to see. Especially if no. you're talking about um runners on base in the tenth inning, et cetera. No, 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 no.
0: Yeah. Hmm. No, absolutely. Um the other thing that we've talked a little bit about the GM, but he's got off a little bit lightly. One question we had was um was from Mark Blainwell. He said, um, given the Nat's performance since twenty eleven, are you surprised that Rizzo is still the GM? I mean, it's not not a particularly book focused question, although obviously he's in the book, but it's more general about baseball. What do you think, Phil? Are you surprised that he's still there?
3: Um, I think he's done a good job in uh, when the Nats have had a poor season of deflecting any criticism onto uh, m- m- managers or coaches, um, including firing everyone, um, or uh, players underperforming. So I think he's done, he's done a good job of, of, of deflecting playing. Whether he deserves to still be there, I mean, they finished... Third in 2011, and then since then uh, they finished first, second, first, second, first, first, second. They won 90 games in four of those um, seasons, and in kind of terms of win loss percentage over the since 2011, uh, they've been one of the top 10 teams. Uh, it's just last year was pretty poor. They finished second, but they mm. but they only won 82 games, and they had, you know, a, a high. Payroll. So I don't know what their cost per win was, but it must have been one of the poorest. I would imagine. Probably not as bad as San Francisco, but um certainly, certainly pretty, pretty poor. Um, but yeah, well, have, I, it's I, the I,
0: postseason, I, isn't it? It's, about, it's all about the it's all about the postseason. Yeah. That's that's
1: true. But what? But what can Mike Rizzo do about that? He's no, constructed sure. the roster. Absolutely. He gives it to the coach, and there's nothing more he can do. And it, I think I think the shoot. record the record shows for it. You know, he's he's got the record there, and and kind of like going back to the Red Sox and Bogarts. When Bogarts is in his bad year, a lot of people would champion him to get traded, and it's like, well, who's going to replace him? Who are you going to bring in as a shortstop that's better than Bogarts on his best day? it's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to get that without a bunch of prospects or a a massive ton of money. So who's going to replace Mike Rizzo? Who's going to do it? I mean, I'm sure some national fans have got some names on the tip of the tongue, but I like looking at it from the outside and, and very briefly looking at the nationals, I don't really see anyone that can construct a better roster because he's done pretty well and he's drafted Mm. pretty well as well.
0: The other thing that comes across in the book as well is that he, he does sound like he works incredibly hard. I mean, it, it i'm sure that every gm works incredibly hard but it was it was quite yeah. insightful it was quite interesting just seeing uh it, it, it does quite a good job at putting into context the scope of the task at hand and and when you think of you're not just talking about 25 30 guys he's like managing three 350 people and directly responsible for their for their careers it is it is, a, it is a massive task a massive job um
3: but there was one quote in the book that really annoyed me um and uh, the quote was, Mike will tell you that there are no statistics that will show you what he can see. And I was like, right, I'm done with you. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm done with the GM. That's, that's right. No. <laughs> there, that's a very there, good
1: point.
0: <laughs> there, slightly, uh, there was a slightly, there was someone, ref- I just saw it this evening, actually, and I was flicking through, and he was talking about what he does and how, how uh, top down he is, you know, how much he likes to control everything. Yeah. Um, just, just trying to struggle through to find the quote. basically saying that if it, if it wasn't for advanced analytics um, he might he be able to just do this job completely by himself you know because he just loves he's such a control freak and that sounded <laughs> like a little bit of a slight but um, all these sort of all these analysts kind of butting in when they're not welcome I don't know that I don't know if that's a mischaracterization of Mike Rizzo probably is but
1: it must I be I mean care. it must be quite difficult though as a general manager of a baseball team to to not have some form of arrogance or ego to yourself because you've got to that position and you're kind of like well i kind of got myself here i'm i'm pretty good actually so i think i might know best at the end of the day i get to say yes or no on a draft pick etc so there must be quite a high level of arrogance so i I get that that's fair enough
0: what what you, you mentioned a book um in reference to in reference to you know comparing this um tom is there any are there any other books that you think of that that it reminds you of
1: Um, Not really. There's nothing that really jumps out. I mean, three nights in August was more of a um, uh, just to shoo in that bit about the analytics side of it to make that point. Um, But there's nothing that's really that I've read so far that's like it. Um, I am a bit of a a bit of a, you know, I've got quite a large passion for trying to find out the sort of background of baseball and other people. Like I've said plenty of times before, we get a lot of chatter with players. We get a lot of chatters with um, coaches and stuff. I kind of want to find out, you know, the guy who's organizing the marketing campaign or something like that. And it's one thing that I found in San Diego, just going around chatting to all the different people at the Padres Complex. It was so nice to to actually talk to people who just did, you know, a normal job. Like there was a the photographer who went around and I chatted to him and I mentioned a few players and chatted about them and he's like, yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's a bit of a pain in the ass. You know, he's, oh, he's a really nice guy. I'll do anything for you. So it's really good to like, just have that sort of human side of it and just chat and go you know your job people probably might look down on you a little bit and he's like yeah some do but some of them like really embrace it and they go for it and you know they'll help you out whenever they can to get a good photo and stuff so yeah it was um i liked it in that sense and i don't think i've read anything like it so far um maybe something like the only rule is it has to work which is the um Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller book about the Sonoma Stompers, which kind of went into that a little bit, but it was clearly more about them and trying to construct this team. Um so yeah, it's probably the, the, the closest comparison I can come to.
0: I think that's why it's I think that's why it's quite a quite an interesting read, is just because it, it is new, it is fresh, and it does do something that 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 very few other well, that I can't think of another book that's done it. But his access and his, um, his, like I said before, his intimacy with the organization allows him to kind of bring all that stuff to light, which is quite interesting. Um, Phil, is there anything that you brought to mind? I mean,
3: no, not really. I can't think of anything like it either. Um, some of the stories in it, like remind me of other articles that I might have read or the pieces online. But in terms of, in terms of, well, I can't think of anything like it. And I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been done again or um, something very similar. Uh, yeah,
0: there's the there's the Tom Verducci one. That he wrote about the Cubs, but it doesn't. Mm. But it that's that's uh, slightly different in its scope, isn't it? Because it doesn't. Talk, it kind of talks to the decision makers, more than the, mm. more than the people behind the scenes. Um, but that that's similar. You're right. I think it's it's. It, I think it's slightly odd that people haven't gone, you know, behind the scenes a little bit more. There's a a, a nice book, um, a, a book by uh, Andrew Bagley about the. The Giants, band of misfits, which is a sort of about the 2010 Giants um, World Series winning team, but again, it's about, it's about players. It's not about it's not about staff so much. And I think there's, I think people are missing a trick a little bit. I think fans would really enjoy that access
3: to to the seat, you know, behind the scenes at their clubs. It's interesting there's you say there. that because I thought like if 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 he was to write another book, um, Barrys Faluga, uh, what what would I like him to write about? And I think we all agree that the the Chelsea Desmond um chapter article whatever we want to call it uh was the one that we found most compelling or found most fascinating so whether whether more kind of wives and girlfriend stories would really work i'm not sure i'm not sure the american fan base is quite ready for that yet perhaps i live in a in a woke london bubble that would <laughs> make me think that it might be something that i would want to read so everybody would want to read it but actually i know. I don't know if if whether that would make the New York Times bestseller list, but that kind of story is definitely something that um I'd want to hear more stories I'd want to read more stuff about it about how other people cope um and how much of a strain it takes. I like the kind of miserable tedium stuff the stuff yeah, that makes but, me think but it's like what Tom, is it really yeah. like for people who's not uh, who who aren't the players like yeah. uh, what what strain does it take
0: i, I but I think it's like what Thomas said you know when he went behind behind the scenes a little bit of the Padres in the spring like it would be really interesting to find out people who they for them. It's just a job. Like they're not, they're not involved in, in, in the, in the team on a really, really high level, you know? So it might Mm. be interesting, but at the same time, they're integral parts of the, 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 you know, the wheel. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think there's scope for another book or similar books that could be revealing and interesting. Um, I certainly, I certainly enjoyed the book. I I think we would, like I said, we're talking all fair. There's something about it that I, that i wanted more of i think it might have been that emotional connection a little bit more that mm. i got from from reading other books about baseball but reading about other people in baseball um it might have been nice to have a little bit more of an emotional connection and, and that might have come from length or perhaps if they'd were spent he'd spent time with people over a greater period of time might have been interesting rather than focusing on just the one season but again it's a difficult thing to do isn't it because you've you've it, you've got a you've got a You've got to get the book published. It's not not yeah. just writing the book for me, unfortunately. Well, that would be quite nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why are you asking? When you chat to him after uh, this podcast? Yeah, it's of course. <laughs> It'll be
0: my first question. You'll have heard when you've uh, already heard this, but anyway. Um, all right. Well, uh, we've we've done um, we've done a good job, I think. Um, probably think about wrapping up. Um, Tom, where can we hear more of your musings about baseball?
1: Um, so, you can find me on Twitter at Pedroyas Face. So, that is the second baseman. Oh, sorry. I've got to stop saying that There, The, the ex second <laughs> baseman for Boston Red Sox. Um, you can find me on there, usually gobbing off about how great I am at softball and how rubbish everyone else is. Um, you can also find my. Writing sometimes, but mainly my talking on Batflips and Nerds, um, and batflipsandnerds.com. We've obviously got a lot coming up with the London series, so keep an eye on the website and the Twitter page for that, because there's going to be a lot of content and new stuff coming, especially as we roll into the London series.
0: Yeah, really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah, it seems
3: to have picked up a bit, the activities. It's great. Yeah, massively. It
0: just seems daily to be things to be getting excited yeah. about it's just yeah it's really really good really looking forward to that and countdown well and truly on now
1: mm-hmm. um, uh, i don't know why i started that countdown i don't know why i do it every single time i do these countdowns and after about three days i'm like i totally regret just to this <laughs>
0: well i'm enjoying it i love a countdown um <laughs> all right well thanks very much we'll we'll leave it there cheers guys thanks very much Yay! Marvelous. so this will probably come out in about three weeks when i've managed to edit out the first five minutes of me having a a, a pretty much a full-blown mental breakdown
1: it was good though it was quite nice to watch so i was looking going i wonder if he'll do it again oh yep he is he's doing it again i did um, i did
0: as i had a lot of stuff a lot of stuff going on it was a difficult time it was a very difficult time